0: Podglomerate original.
1: When people talk about the great theaters of the world, they'll usually mention the Globe in Stratford, the Palace in New York, or the Comedie Francaise in Paris.
2: This is June seventh, nineteen eighty-seven, at the Mark Hellinger Theater on Fifty-first Street where a stand-up comedian is about to be honored at the Tony Awards.
1: The New York Times described him as an essayist, a commentator, and observer of how people and society work. He put it in his own way. In the clubs, I was just another character from Brooklyn, and now I'm art. (laughs) And if he needed further proof of that, the American theater wing has voted a special Tony to Mr. Jackie Mason.
3: Thank you, thank you. I'll tell you the truth, uh, I'm really in a state of shock here because I don't know who to thank for this. Nobody believed in this whole show. Uh, I'd like to thank my cast, but I got no cast. I don't know who to I'd like to thank the director, I'd like to thank the writer, but I'm the director and I'm the writer. I don't think it looks nice for me to thank myself here. I'll tell you the truth, if not for me, there would be no show here at all.
4: This
2: is one of the hardest, most difficult mountains for a comedian to climb. Everest. It's not Everest. It's not K2. They say that's the most difficult mountain. It's not Kilimanjaro. Did you see that documentary Free Solo? Yeah, Alex Honnold. Mm -hmm. This is like Free Solo. The, The comedy equivalent of Free Solo. Because you're out there all alone on Broadway.
0: Welcome to The History of Stand-Up, the show where comedian and professor Wayne Fetterman teaches us all a little bit more about the history of stand-up. And I'm your fellow student, Andrew Stephen. Okay, so Broadway. Obviously, it's known for musicals and plays, but
2: stand-up comedy? When we're talking about comedians on Broadway, there's basically two categories. One, usually a series of characters. That are acted out by comedians. Mm -hmm. And then the other category is... Straight, stand-up, or storytelling, first person. And the performer who really kicked off this trend of comedians able to do a one-person show on Broadway was a guy named Victor Borga. And it all started October 2nd, 1953, at the Golden Theater. And it was supposed to just be maybe a couple-week run. And Borga ended up doing this show for 849 performances. Didn't close until 1956. Still holds the Guinness Book of World Records for the longest-running one-man show in the history of Broadway.
5: I'm going to play excerpts from Rachmaninoff's Second Piano Concerto, number two, that is by Rachmaninoff, of course, who also wrote the music for this concerto. This concerto was written in four flats because Rachmaninoff had to move four times while he wrote it. (laughs) The Steinway people have asked me to announce that this is a Baldwin piano.
2: There is debate as to whether Victor Borga is a stand-up because he also uses music in his act. In fact, his show was called Comedy in Music.
5: Don't you like good music? <laughs> Why do you interrupt me all the
2: <laughs> I love that we get to talk about this guy. He was Danish, he lived in Copenhagen, he was a child piano prodigy, then he became a comedian, started doing films, he would tour, record, and then had to flee Nazi Germany. Came to the United States with very little money and learned the language in the most interesting way. How did you learn to speak English?
5: I went to 42nd Street, I think for 15 cents, one could sit and see three movies and you could sit for 24 hours if you Mm -hmm. wanted to. and I could see the action with the words, and and I would memorize the words and say them with the actors.
2: One of the many wonderful things about Victor Borga is that two of his most famous stand-up routines rely on the idiosyncratic nature of the English language.
5: You know that in the English language are words that contain numbers, such words as wonderful, before, create, and so forth. (laughs) Now, by adding one to each of these numbers, we have already instigated an inflationary language. So that wonderful, by adding one, will be two <laughs> And before will be, be five, create will be nine, <laughs> and so on, and so forth. <laughs> now, may I read to you a page from a book I have here with me? Actually you. Twice upon a time, there was a young little Lebanon in the army Air fives, named Bob, <laughs> who lived in sunny California near, with his sister, Anna. They had been very close ever since Anna saw the light of day for the second time. <laughs> they were very proud of the fact that their five fathers had been among the Creninders of the American Constitution,
2: <laughs> And then, of course, the classic phonetic punctuation.
5: Which means that while we talk, we will integrate punctuation marks by giving them sound so that we can underline our sentences as well when we speak as we do when we read and or write. A <laughs> period sounds like this. Here is a dash, an exclamation point is a vertical dash with a period underneath. Here is a comma. Quotation are two commas. If you happen to be left-handed. Question mark is rather difficult to Finally, the colon, the two little dots, you know, you put them either over or under each other. That is the sound for the colon. I have a book here, and I'm going to read to you a short story so you can hear how this system really sounds. In the open window, there suddenly came light. Beautiful, Eleanor sat alone, dreaming of but one thing. Two years had passed since she met Sir Henry. She could still remember the unhappy evening when her father had thrown him out. Henry! What is love, she asked. He answered, well, I couldn't live without
6: it.
2: Okay, this is incredible. Apparently, Andrew here has discovered this recording that I had never heard of. Victor borga doing that same routine in nineteen thirty seven in a
7: completely different language <laughs> and
2: this is three years before he came to America when he was still known as borga rosenbaum okay so i'm I'm looking at this nineteen
0: thirty seven Danish recording of phonetic punctuation and underneath the title track there's two other names listed like in the author section
2: was this routine written by someone else well apparently yes it seems victor borga did not originally create his most famous routine phonetic punctuation and he never gave them credit when he recorded or performed that bit And he did that routine at almost every concert he gave, often as an encore. So guess what? They sued Victor Borga and won their lawsuit. So why do
0: you think Victor Borga was so popular on Broadway?
2: Well, because he was a ridiculously gifted performer, both musically and comedically. But I also have another theory. Broadway is a pricey ticket and Borga he would puncture the pomposity and the formality of classical music because one thing we know about classical music, it's serious. His silly juxtaposition was a perfect fit for Broadway. After Borga concluded his original run of comedy and music in 1956, he revived the show again in the, in the mid 60s. During this time, a young multi-talented comedian from Detroit was in New York developing her act in coffee houses and clubs.
8: The first time I went to the improv, I wore thrift shop clothes, you know. This is Lily Tomlin. So you could not get a spot with Bud Friedman at the improv if you were a girl. Any singer could get up and sing. But if you did comedy and you were a girl, you had to have someone speak for you. I got in with a couple of guys that hung out at the improv and they vouched for me. So Bud let me have a spot on the show one night, and I put on my, my dud, and I had um, a halter dress, blue velvet, cut on the bias and ankle straps, and I had a big old fox fur coat that was real moth-eaten, but it sort of looked good at night.
0: New York's improvisation was on 44th Street between 8th and 9th in the heart of the theater district.
8: The limos are just waiting there, waiting for their fare to come out of the theater, so they have like, a lot of free time. So I gave the guy like 10 bucks, which was a fairly good tip at that time. And he drove me up to the Improv and I swept out in that in that outfit. And I went right on, Um, just about went right on and I did 10 or 15 minutes and I swept out, got in the car and left. So that created kind of a sensation for me.
2: It seems like you always had a sense of the theatrical, even back then, right? Yeah,
8: I did, I did, I did.
2: On March 24th, 1977, at the Biltmore Theater, Lily Tomlin presented her own one-person show.
8: You've got to give the show a name. So instead of, like, just Lily Tomlin, we called it appearing nightly.
9: Well, thank you all a lot. (laughs) I dreamed a long time of having my own show on Broadway. I thought that being a part of the theater would be so glamorous. Champagne chilling in my dressing room, telegrams. I saw myself leaving the theater at night, going out the stage door, finding stage door persons waiting.
0: I saw in the playbill for that show that it said Lily Tomlin had an understudy. I know, which seemed impossible.
8: And when I did appearing nightly Zinka Milanoff, who a, was who's a, an opera star, I, I said, I, no, I wrote her in the playbill that she was Lily's standby, and she sued me. Yeah, she sued me. It was terrible. I paid her like $5,000 or so. I don't remember what we paid her, but we had to pay her something.
9: Remember, we're all in this alone. It's funny to think that one day beanbag chairs will be antiques. Every time I see a yield sign on the highway, I feel sexually threatened. that when we talk to God we're said to be praying but when God talks to us we're schizophrenic <laughs> a child was asked to describe the feeling of joy she said it's mild and gentle on your hands
6: <laughs>
9: the other day I bought a waste basket and I carried it home in a paper bag when I got home, I put the paper bag in
8: the wastebasket. All I ever wanted to do was have a theater. I could just go on and do what I wanted to do at any time of the season. I thought seriously about trying to buy it. Anyway, so I never bought a theater. But that show played for a year or two or so, and I did it on and off. After that, while I worked on other stuff.
2: And in the wake of Lily Tomlin, who did not only jokes, but also these amazing characters, came another comedian who developed her show in San Francisco and also at the Belly Room at the Comedy Store in Los Angeles... A room that when it first opened was exclusively for women comics.
4: You know, I started with the characters. And so all of my characters told stories. That's
2: the voice of Whoopi Goldberg.
4: Because I'm not actually stand-up stand-up. I'm sort of like a a lean-up. And I always think it's important to be able to take an audience on a little bit of a journey. I was in the beach with like all my friends, or like all my friends with me. I don't know, we're all together. I like I mean, this total hunk Ola, okay, this total hunk comes over to me, and he goes like, hi, and I was totally not ready for, like, this heavy conversation. So, like, you know, like, I said hi, and he said hi, and he said hi, okay. So, like, then he said he was having a party, and did I want to go? So I said okay, and he said okay, and we said okay, okay. Let's
10: talk about the valley girl. Mm -hmm. This is Alan
0: King talking with Whoopi Goldberg from Inside the Comedy Mind.
4: Where did this character come from? Well, I Fun lifted thing. her. I lifted the Valley Girl from a man called Taylor Negron, who I love. Who's a very very funny guy and a up who used to do this <laughs> very right. he do Beverly Hills women, and they all sounded like this teenager. I asked him if it was okay, if he minded, if I if I did that, and he said, No, 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 no. Go ahead, take it.
2: So Whoopi has this idea of combining all these characters and putting them together in a show in New York.
4: For the first two days, nobody came.
0: This is Whoopi talking on Oprah's Masterclass about how her show went from off-Broadway to Broadway.
4: And then a, a an amazing review got written. And the next thing I knew, Bette Midler was in the audience. And then there was 15 people in the audience, and then 30, and then, you know, full capacity. And then we were able to extend, and then Mike Nichols came. And he said, I, I love the show, uh, I'd love, to produce it for you. I was like, oh, okay. And I thought he was kidding. And my phone rang, you know, about a month and a half later and he said, this is Mr. Nichols. I was like, hi. And he said, would you like to talk about places we might do your show? And I said, you were serious. I thought you were kidding. He said, no, no, I was serious. And I said, well, I don't know if you want to really take me because, you know, I'm I'm sort of hit and miss sometimes. Sometimes I really suck. He said, when was the last time you really sucked? I said, well, I think a couple of weeks ago. Do you think you suck more often or less often? And I said, I I think I suck less often. he said, well, I'm willing to gamble on that. (laughs) It's okay. And then six months later, uh, we were at the Lyceum.
2: December 22nd, 1986. At the Brooks Atkinson Theater, one of the most unlikely Broadway success stories occurs when this ethnic, borscht-belty, nightclub comedian with this anachronistic act opens his show
3: on Broadway. First of all, this is a one-man show, which disturbs a lot of people. You know, a lot of people say, who is one Jew to make such a comfortable living? (laughs) That's another thing. You don't need two people for one show. Why is it that subconsciously people somehow feel that the more people they see, the better the show? You ever notice that? Mister?
6: <laughs> people
3: enjoy a show because there's more people in it. They see 10 people, pretty good show. 40 people, what a show I saw. A thousand people, oh, yes, this show. <laughs> what
0: was
2: Jackie Mason known for before this? this is, he's almost the story of the jazz singer. He was a cantor and then became a rabbi in a temple, doing religious text, and then he starts adding jokes to his sermons and gets the bug to become a stand-up comedian.
3: I didn't know who I was. I went to a psychiatrist, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I did. He took a look at me right away. He said, This is not you. <laughs> I said, This is not me, then who is it? He said, I don't know either. <laughs> I said, what do I need you for? He said, to find out who you are. He said, together, we're going to look for the real you. I said, if I don't know who I am, how I know who to look for? And even if I find me, how I know if it's me? Besides, if I want to look for me, what do I need him? I can look myself. Or I can take my friends. We know where I was. Besides, I said to myself, what if I find the real me and I find that he's even worse than me? What do I need him? I don't make enough for myself. I need a partner. 10 years ago, I've been glad to look for anybody. Now I'm doing good. Why should I look for him? He needs help, let him look for me. He said, the search for the real you will have to continue. That'll be hundred dollars,
6: please.
3: I said to myself, this is not the real me. Why should I give him the hundred? I look for the real me, let him give him the hundred. What if I find the real me? He don't think it's worth the hundred dollars. Then I'm stuck my money with the real him. I said to myself, for all I know, the real me might be going to a different psychiatrist altogether. Might even be a psychiatrist himself. I said, wouldn't it be funny if you're the real me and you owe me a
6: hundred dollars?
2: And then there was this famous incident on the Ed Sullivan show where Sullivan thought that Jackie Mason was flipping him off, banned him from the show. Mason sues Sullivan. It derails his career. And and so did Broadway sort of become his comeback? I saw when I was in high school in Florida, Jackie Mason play to a half full room in like North Miami Beach. This little club I went to cost $5 to see him half a room. Was this a comeback? This was the comeback of comebacks. It was so unlikely because his act, like I said before, was so anachronistic. Even Jewish people didn't talk like that anymore.
3: What's happening now is a kind of an unbelievable story to anybody in the world because I know as well as anybody that the Mecca of show business is right here in this neighborhood. Within six blocks of this building is the finest, the best that the legitimate theater has to offer. So for you to pick me out as a show to see is frankly not only a surprise, but something that I'm very, very deeply grateful about because without you here, it never would have happened because in an empty building, you can't tell a person is a hit.
6: <laughs>
3: I would really like to thank each one of you personally and individually. Unfortunately, I'm now such a big star. I got no time to talk. <laughs> touching experience to me and a stunning experience something i frankly never expected at this stage of my life that wasn't that much of a hit before i opened on broadway i don't know if you heard about it when you come like i do from a family of rabbis you know i have three brothers who are rabbis and my father was a rabbi all of his life and all of his life he always dreamed that all his children would be rabbis that's all he lived for so uh, naturally when it was time for me to become a rabbi i didn't have the heart to tell my father that I'm not going to. So I started to perform as a rabbi, and I was very uncomfortable at it, so I started to tell some jokes in my sermons here and there, and as the jokes got better and better, I started to charge a cover in a minute.
2: So he does this show, The World According to Me, and then tours the country, takes the show overseas, and then does new versions of Broadway shows over the next 15 years. There's one called Politically Incorrect. There's one called Love Thy Neighbor, Much Ado About Everything, Prune Danish, Laughing Room Only. And here's the crazy thing, Andrew. When you add up all of those shows, Jackie Mason has done more one-man performances on Broadway than anyone in history. Broadway is going nuts for these older, established, Borscht Belt era comedians. Don't forget, this is during the 80s and 90s. This is during the comedy boom. So they reach back and pull out four comedians from the Catskill Mountains to mount a show called Catskills on Broadway. So instead of one comedian, it's now four comedians. Freddie Roman, Marilyn Michaels, who was replaced by Louis Duarte, Mousy Lawrence, and Dick Capri.
11: We did a few weeks before opening night, and the previews got me confident. So uh, opening night, you know, it was a nervous night, but uh, I, I already had, uh, you know, all that energy uh, from the, the weeks before. So it, it was quite nice. It was quite nice. But I was nervous. Yes, I was.
2: And of course, closing the show every night was Mal Z. Lawrence. That's Mal Z. Lawrence. He was a larger-than-life legend of the Catskill Mountains, a performer who was respected by comedians across the board.
12: Now the waiter comes over. He doesn't know you don't know what you want. Yes, what would you like? Waiter, I, I don't eat like this at home. I don't, not, not like this. I, and she's sitting on two chairs while she's saying, oh, I don't know, waiter, maybe a little tuna, a side dish, a little side of tuna, a ball, will just pick. You have the chopped egg with the onion, bring one of those, a little side, little ball. Whitefish aside, just a side of whitefish. Just bring the side of Moby Dick out here. Eggplant, chop a little eggplant, chop a herring, chop a rubber tire, chop whatever you have there. Just make a nice setup on the table. Get a big lazy Susan out here, a big, and get an ox to walk around the table, to pull, to pull the table. And the biggest seller they have up there, the biggest seller are the Danishes, the little breakfast Danishes. People steal them. Women, women call them for later, for later Danish. These are for later these days. No, these are not for now. We have for now. But these are for later. We'll have these with coffee November 23rd.
11: And uh, we were on Broadway for a year and a half. Then when we left Broadway, uh, we traveled for another year and uh, I was getting $750 a week. But then uh, all that time I was paying alimony.
2: (laughs) Around this time, Lily Tomlin returns to Broadway with an entirely new show called The Search for Signs of Intelligent Life in the Universe. And her performance is so compelling she wins the Tony Award for Lead Actress in a Play.
6: The winner is Lily Tomlin! Uh,
9: um, I'm so happy to get this uh, beautiful Tony. I'm gonna, thank, I'm gonna thank Sam Cohn, I wanna thank Jerry and Bernie and Phil who gave us a pretty good deal on the Plymouth. Oh, Jane Wagner, who wrote this beautiful
8: play. At some point, Jane began writing The Search. It was a very successful play for us. I haven't done it in, in quite a long time, but I'd like to. But, you would? Um, you'd, you'd like to
2: do The Search? Yeah, cert, I would the sort sort of. search. I would yeah, right? I'd,
8: I'd like to do it so that I could persuade Jane to write another one.
2: <laughs> you can't just ask
8: her. Well, I've tried asking her. I, I mean, our, our money is entirely commingled. But I'd say, look, or I'll just give you all my money if you'll write another play.
2: Remember in our Holy City Zoo episode, we were talking about the comedians in San Francisco that started segueing into one-man shows as the comedy club boom started to contract? Yeah. One of those stand-ups was Rob Becker.
7: Women will call Aaron and they make dates to go somewhere in. Talk. See, if a guy calls me just to talk, I owe him money.
2: This show, Defending the Caveman, ran over 650 performances on Broadway.
1: Sandra Bernhardt is here. She first came to our attention as a psychotic groupie in Martin Scorsese's 1983 film, The King of Comedy. Since then, the multimedia comedian has garnered success with her performances, books, CDs, and sitcom appearances. She is making her Broadway debut with her one-woman show, I'm Still Here, Damn It.
2: Yeah, Sandra is another comedian who, like Whoopi Goldberg, went from the belly room of the comedy store to Broadway.
13: For me personally, nothing affected me more, though, than the untimely death of Gianni Versace. It was so random and violent. And it's really changed the whole face of the modeling world forever. I run into the girls on the streets. Their eyes are hollow, listless. They are non-communicative. I say, open up, baby. You're gonna fade away. (laughs) Naomi is a shadow of a human being. When asked in an interview how she responded to Gianni's death, she said, it's been a terrible thing for me. Elton John has written some beautiful music during this whole period, drawing the whole world together. On the flip side to his tribute to Princess Diana is his new single. Why not?
1: When you started, I'm still here, damn it. It was for a limited run. Right. Now, was that because you didn't think it might not have legs? Or, you I know what? Mean, this I really went back, to, I
13: went back to my roots. I put no limitations on myself. Yeah. And you well, know just what? do it and see what happens. Yeah, Well, because it came from my heart. It was very organic. And when you're true to your muses, you can never go wrong.
2: In 2004, Billy Crystal, whose stand-up act always had a theatrical and emotional component to it, added his name to the list of comics who had a successful Broadway run. The name of his show was 700 Sundays.
14: This is not something somebody of her generation really understands. As evidenced by the next day, her phone call to her best friend Reba talking about the wedding. (laughs) Reba, hi, Julie got married yesterday. (laughs) To her partner. That's what they call them. They call them partners. (laughs) No, Tonto is a faithful companion. No, they had a service like everything. And I'll tell you something, at the end of the service, they, no dear, no. They don't step on a glass and scream "Lachaim." No, this is not a Jewish service. This is a lesbian service. <laughs> and the Tony goes to Billy Crystal, 700 Sunday. To so my brothers and our family here tonight, whose stories I share with them, this is the best part I've ever had to play. And I love working with the actor that I get to work with every night. <laughs> this has been the greatest thrill of my life. Thank you.:
2: Yeah, Billy Crystal beat out three other one-person shows that year for the Tony. They were Whoopi Goldberg, who had returned to Broadway in her show, Dame Edna, which was a character created by the Australian comedian Barry Humphreys, and Mario Cantone's show that he called "Laugh War." One of the most prolific and multi-talented comedians ever to step foot on Broadway is John Leguizamo.
10: Now, my journey to Broadway was a long and odorous one on the number seven train from Queens to Manhattan. And uh, I'm a son of immigrant parents. My, my parents left El Enos de Colombia back during the great. Yes, that's it right there in case you were looking for it. But it was in the theater where I found myself, man, where I could write about my family, but in code because they're very litigious. My family will sue. (laughs) And I could also talk about my sexual failures on Broadway. And for that, I got two Tony nominations, which I lost. (laughs) But all this revealing of my personal life started freaking me out and I started getting depressed. And I found this therapist who specialized in positive thinking, but I kept thinking, what the hell good is that going to do me? (laughs)
2: You know? <laughs> then in 2018, at the Tony Awards, John Legazamo was presented a special Tony for his incredible body of work.
12: I always say that what stand-up is, is taking a, a fatuous premise and proving it with rigorous
10: logic. This
0: is Jerry Seinfeld.
10: And that really describes this show. Jerry got involved at the point where I had just done the show, like a rough version of the show.
0: And this is Colin Quinn.
10: He said, hey, I'll produce it, you know. He just said sight unseen. He's seen my other stuff. He's always been, uh, you know, a great supporter of my other, you know, these other one-man shows I do. So he said, I'll direct it. I've never directed another comedian. But
12: in in a, you know, in one, it's, it's not a stand-up show, but there are elements of it that are
10: similar. And ironically, the only place that really still is beautiful, clean air, fresh, beautiful mountain ranges, clean water, rivers, lakes, is Canada. And nobody wants to live there. <laughs> but it's not me saying it just. Even when people sneak across the border through Canada into our country, Canada goes, we've got jobs here, social services, liberal immigration policy, health care. That's nice, I'm going to take my chance in that giant fucking Ruby Tuesdays anyway, but... <laughs> but don't feel bad for Canada, believe me, this is their strategy, is to be boring so nobody goes up, so they can stay looking nice and nobody wrecks it. It's obviously, they're not trying to welcome people. Have you ever seen the flag? It's a leaf. <laughs> they're not even trying. <laughs> even the national anthem. It's kind of trying to get you to dismiss them a little. It's like, oh, Canada. (laughs) And you go up there, they all speak French. When did that start? I'll tell you when it stops, the minute we leave. I guarantee you.
15: (laughs) Collins' shows are brilliant,
0: by the way. That's Mike Birbiglia.
15: I, I had gone to college for screenwriting and playwriting. And so I, I wrote this draft of a play, and then I went and I saw everything on and off Broadway. So I saw the Lily Tomlin and the Whoopi specials. I, I had been a stand-up comedian, so I thought like, move to New York and try to get into clubs and then I'll I'll keep pursuing plays and screenplays. And hopefully those two things can mesh at some point. And here I am, 40 years old, they finally have.
2: (laughs) Mike Berbiglia made it to Broadway in 2018 with a show called The New
15: One. I find that when you fall in love, you tend to overlook certain red flags. (laughs) One of them was that she would say really mean stuff to me but then she would pull it back. She'd be like, no one likes you at all.
4: Only kidding.
15: (laughs) Or like, you're like a nerd, but you're not even smart. (laughs) Just joking. Can't choose who you love. Going to Broadway, is strange on its own. It's just an outrageous thing. You're in this big, beautiful theater, and you know, you're in Times Square, which is its own tourist attraction. When you start to perform a sh- like a show or a solo play versus a series of jokes, you really do have to convey a story. You know, like in a comedy club, Something happens in the crowd. You go into the crowd. You, you can end up on a ten-minute tangent. In a Broadway show, you can't do that. There's eleven hundred, you know, thousand eleven hundred people in the audience. You got to bring them along for the ride, no matter what.
2: Andrew, I have a question for you. Yes. Would it be all right to talk briefly about not one-man shows but comedy teams on Broadway? Would that be okay? All allowed. The reason I ask is because recently two stand-ups, John Mullaney and Nick Kroll, joined the list of other comedy teams who had Broadway shows like Dudley Moore and Peter Cook and Mike Nichols and Elaine May. So Kroll and Mulaney had a wonderful run on Broadway with their show called Oh Hello. And although they were playing characters, a lot of the lines... And that show came directly from their stand-up acts.
7: O.J. Simpson breaks his 45-year no-killing streak. (laughs) O.J. Simpson kills those two people so hard, they stop making the Ford Bronco. Can you imagine doing something so fucked up there's no more Toyota Camry?
16: Definitely jokes that both of us had written or thought of that were much easier to deliver as as these characters than as Nick or John would.
0: That's Nick Kroll.
16: There's something about being on Broadway that is kind of unlike any other experience I've had so far in, in show business. As comedians, we're used to doing clubs or going on tour, but when you are doing Broadway, it's like you're... Touring a beautiful theater, but you never have to go on tour. You're just in the same place every night, and everybody comes to you. There's something about people walking into a Broadway show that the audience has high expectations, but also they've paid a lot of money for that ticket. They're excited to be there. There's there's just a heightened spectacle in a way that you don't always feel doing regular stand up in a in a club or in a even in a theater.
7: We love the great traditions of the theater. <laughs> And that is why we plan to pay homepage to them tonight. For example, the one-sided phone call. Ah, the one-sided phone call. This is very good. This is when a character makes a phone call, but they do it in a very stagey way where they repeat the phone call information to the other characters. First, get a telephone no one would have in real life. Oh, hello. <laughs> then, Please do way too much business with the phone. Really show the audience you've been working with the prop all week.
6: <laughs>
7: and then ladies and gentlemen, a one-sided phone call. Oh, hello? Which well, John, I'm sure. The police? That's who you are.
16: <laughs> you're, you're doing that show on Broadway, but then there's the kind of community around it, and there's Bar Central and, and Joe Allen's, and we'd go, I don't know how many nights a week after shows to Joe Allen's and get a burger and a martini. And I felt like I was somewhere in show business between 1930 and, and, and now.
11: When you're on Broadway, the, the restaurants around would know, especially Sardi's.
16: Here's Dick
0: Capri again.
11: The Sardi's has two menus. They have a menu for the regular people. And they have a show business menu. If you're in show business, you're on Broadway, you get a discount.
0: Is there anyone else? I mean,
2: I feel like I've heard other stand-ups performing one-person shows on Broadway. Yes, there were a number of comedians who had limited runs on Broadway. I'm going to name just a few. Dave Allen, Shelley Berman, Lewis Black, Red Buttons, Bruce Forsyth. Danny Gaines, Kathy Griffin, Jay Johnson, Robert Klein, Bill Maher, Julia Sweeney, Yakov Smirnoff, and then there's a different category. There's a few comedians who just used the beautiful Broadway theater as their venue for their television special. They might do a few warm-up shows and then tape it or do it live. Like Jerry Seinfeld when he did I'm Telling You for the Last Time, or Robin Williams. And guess who's coming to Broadway uh, this year? Dave Chappelle I don't know if it's going to be a long run or a short run or a Netflix special like Bruce Springsteen just did we'll find out why do we keep ending our episodes with Dave Chappelle but we're not going to this year because I'd like to end this episode if you don't mind Andrew by mentioning one of the great performers not a stand up but basically sat down at a desk and told phenomenal stories his name was Spalding Gray I'll uh, have to check him out.
0: The History of Stand-Up is written and produced by Wayne Fetterman and me, Andrew Steven. Executive produced by Jeff Umbro and the Podglomerate. You can find more of their podcasts at thepodglomerate.com. Special thanks to Dick Capri, Nick Kroll, whose show Big Mouth is available on Netflix, Cliff Nestoroth, Lily Tomlin, The Abraham Comedy Archives, and Mike Berbiglia. Whose Broadway show, *The New One*, is coming to Los Angeles in the
15: fall for five weeks, forty performances at the Amazon, as part of their "quote unquote" Broadway series.
2: So, what does that just mean to you that you have, you are in a show that's part of a Broadway series?
15: That's one of that's what I will say. That is one of the strangest parts. Like the other night, I did a benefit, and it it got written up in Page Six, and for the first time, they called me like Broadway funny man. Mike Burbiglia And I go, like, I think that's what I got out of the Broadway run. <laughs> I think they just go, Broadway funny man.
0: Some of the music in this episode is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Please follow us on Twitter at Standup and online at thehistoryofstandup.com. If you like this show, please tell a friend, share an episode, And leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Take care.